David Locke's weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. Radio voice of the Utah Jazz. David Locke joining us now. David, good morning. Good morning, David James. What time did you get to bed? Uh, about 2 a.m. actually. <laughs> <laughs> I got 2.30 on me going right now. Nice, oh. nice of me to say I'd do this interview at 8 o'clock this morning. <laughs> good idea. Good plan. Not really. Didn't think that all the way through. No, I actually did, because I have a 10 o'clock meeting, so I knew I had to do Locked on Jazz afterwards, so I actually did think it through. So. There it Beautiful is. Out, though. Guess what I get to do today? Uh, prep for Game 3 tomorrow night. I'm so excited. It's way better than that. Oh. You're golfing with Jack Nicholas. I'm getting out of the airplane and going to Los Angeles. There it is. He's back on the road, baby. And I could not be more thankful to our organization and the people involved to respecting the job of broadcasters and the ability to tell the story to the fans by being in the arena. They did not have to do this. And the league said they could if they wanted to, but there was no mandate from the league. This was a jazz decision, and I could not be more thankful uh, for our organization Okay, what did you see in the arena in Game 2 that most of us did not see uh, watching on TV? So the biggest one I saw in Game 1 was how much the Jazz, and I saw it again in Game 2, is how much the Jazz players talk to each other and how much the Clippers players don't. In Game 1, there was a moment where Luke Kennard got beat defensively, and I think he thought he was supposed to have help on the far side of the floor from our broadcast site. And while they were in the, after the play, and you could see him, I think there's a foul, you could see him turn and take two steps like he's going to go ask someone about it and then decide not to. And they all went their five separate ways. Whereas if you watch the Jazz, even after the biggest plays, there's always side conversations going on. One of the early timeouts last night, there was uh, Donovan and Joe stopped outside, then Royce and Joe talked, and then Boyan and someone were talking while Quinn had pulled somebody else aside. Like this. So you notice that all the time. Um, Quinn coached portions of last night's game across half court. Um, and so you really can tell, you know, when a possession matters and things like that to him of when he's crossed over. Um, from an announcer standpoint, not a, I think that's what fans would think. From an announcer standpoint, calling the game, the biggest impact um, on your ability to call the game is as a play-by-play announcer, well, there's about 23, but um, one of the biggest impacts is that when a player shoots the basketball, I stay on the player. I see if it goes in, obviously, right? But it's like you're on the player, which you actually never realize until you try to call NBA games off a TV screen, is that the TV leaves the shooter and follows the ball. Rightfully so, right? And in a close-up version. So all those reaction shots you see by a player are actually cutaways or replays afterwards, which is a radio announcer you actually can't use it. So, you know, when you can feel Donovan, how hot he is when he's backpedaling, you've seen it in the arena, right? Like when he or Boyan particularly will take a shot and they're starting to backpedal before they even, they, you know, they know it's going in. It also just lets you anticipate how you make your call. Like, you know, you can tell uh, if someone's going to go in or not. So Did I think you can tell a much better story. I mean, the way I would describe it is as a radio announcer, I have a telescope in my, and I'm deciding where I'm telescoping throughout the game. So 
So sometimes it can be wide throughout the arena. Sometimes it can be down to the shoelaces of Jordan Clarkson's left shoe, right? Um, and depending on what I what I want at that moment. And when you call it off the screen, you've lost the ability to choose where it is and what it is. Did you find yourself surprised by Boyan Bogdanovich's ability to defend Kawhi Leonard possession after possession late in the game? In one sense, absolutely, because I, you know, he just did not. You know, last year we matched his minutes with Rudy Gobert of minutes so that he was protected defensively. Um, he wasn't great this year either. So in one sense, and actually there was a point in time this year where teams hunted him, um, and it was concerning. Like, oh wow, like you know, teams are choosing who they're going to go after. Um, so in that sense, yes. On the other sense, maybe not. And the reason I say that is because of two factors. Um, one, he's so big, right? So Kawhi's advantage is his strength and power more than his quickness. And Boyan matches that strength and power. Um, the other time Boyan's defense was thought of very highly was when his final year in Indiana, he guarded LeBron in the playoffs. He did a tremendous, he did a tremendous job on LeBron in those playoffs. Um, and then the third reason that now that it's happening, I'm not stunned, is you actually go back and look at the career numbers of Boyan guarding LeBron since he's been in Utah. Um, I don't, I haven't gone back to look at him since Indiana. I guess I could. Um, but uh, he's been really good, and he's actually bothered him quite a bit. So it's not a one-off day where item in which uh, Kawhi Leonard seems to be off. There actually might be a little something to uh, the size and power matching size and power. So we talk a lot about offense. In a a minute or two, I'll pull those numbers up. But um, I decided to make a double espresso to do this interview um, and not turn on my computer. I will now turn on my computer. Okay, without the numbers, though, uh, we talk a lot about offense. But Quinn Snyder talked in the postgame. There's a lot of talk about fatigue. And I asked Quinn about that. You know, obviously, yes, they've been fatigued. But since they've won both games that are up 2-0, you can't argue, right? You got the wins. Guys are tired. Oh, well, you're 2-0. But is it sustainable going forward? Now, partly the decision's made for him because Conley's hurt, and Conley's minutes, me and he's getting a few of them, but they're largely being spread around um, on the players who are already playing pretty large minutes. So now they're playing huge minutes. But Quinn also went to the matchup, and he clearly is loving what Royce O'Neal is doing and wants him on the floor uh, when when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are out there, so do you think it's sustainable going forward? I mean, forty one minutes, and I think a lot of people on Twitter are saying, "Man, the team looks gas now." When well, you got two guys playing thirty nine minutes and one guy playing forty one, they might be gassed at the end of the game. I think you people are all right, but do you think Quinn sticks with that? I mean, if Conley comes back, it makes his decisions easier. But if Conley isn't ready, can Quinn keep playing the team the way he's playing? No, I think if Conley comes back, those guys are still playing 41. He won't take any of their minutes. I mean, I, didn't, I haven't looked at last night, but going into last night, these are pretty interesting. Kawhi Leonard going into last night in his career when guarded by Royce O'Neal, 16 of 46. When guarded by Boyan Bogdanovich over the last two years, 6 of 17. Paul George, when guarded by... Uh, Royce O'Neal, um, over the last uh, two years, seven for 24. 
Okay, uh, so Rudy. so O'Neal and Bogdanovich are going to keep playing the big minutes. Gobert at 36 was less outrageous because Favors has 12. So if Conley comes back, he'll get the five minutes Mione played, but he'll probably take a little time from Joe Ingles and Donovan Mitchell, and those guys might look fresher. But the right. other guys are still going to play their big minutes. I think so. Okay. Hey, I want to congratulate Paul George. He matched his consecutive game streak for the season last night at nine. I mean, that's just an incredible accomplishment. A playing nine straight games? Uh-huh. That's the most he's played all year without yeah. a break. I... Kawhi Leonard played his ninth straight game last night also, and he once this year has played 12 in a row without a break. I thought Paul George was fine. I know there's a lot of playoff pee and a lot of chanting in the arena. 27 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. I mean, the shooting 8 of 18 isn't bad. 2 of 6, all 9 free throws. But Kawhi Leonard isn't getting to the free throw line. If he keeps scoring 21 points a game, are the Clippers going to win this series? I would think no. Well, so if if we want to talk about last night, um, big picture, let's back up a second. So we had the outlier shooting night last night. That's why we won. Right. Okay, we, we make or, make or miss leads. We made everything last night. Fifty one percent from three. Right. So that's why we won last night. We like thank you, Lucky Stars. Luck was on our side last night. The ball went in. Uh, I haven't looked at our ratings, but I'm sure it's one of our best shooting nights of the entire season off our our shot quality. You know, that's why we won. That that's not sustainable. That's the item that's not sustainable. This is this is very similar to what Dallas did in game two to the Clippers. They shot the lights out. They shot the lights out in game three and then lost, which was always my moment of like concern. In fact, I think last week we said that, right, on the show, you asked me about that. And I said, I'm pretty concerned about Dallas. They shot 51% from three in game three and lost. Like, oh, that's a, like, you actually, you're more, if that's what it takes you to lose, we have a problem. Um, so that's the story last night. Um, from the standpoint of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and I haven't looked at Paul George's shot chart last night, um, and I think he was a little more aggressive and in the paint a little bit better than he was um, in the previous game. But he, if he's not getting to the rim, um, and last night he took four shots at the rim, he took four shots in the paint. So that's actually right about what he does. So he was much more aggressive um, going back. Then he... His range is kind of eight of eighteen. Like, like he actually shot his kind of regular mm-hmm. night last night. Yeah, um, maybe he makes one more three and he goes nine of eighteen. But he, he's not getting a shot chart that is allowing him. And Kawhi Leonard maybe is the same story. That as of right now is going to allow him to have the eighteen. You know, the huge night where he suddenly goes off for thirty-five or forty, and it feels a little bit like. The Clippers need that. Now, the reason it feels that way is because the Jazz shot 50-whatever percent from three. Um, so, I, I'm, you know, the Jazz shot had, like, really, truly one of the great shooting games of any team all season long. I don't think there's a lot of teams that have an effective field goal percentage of over 60% all year. That's really probably all we should be talking about. There are some things in last night's game that, that really have to be fixed or we actually don't win the series. Um, they were in transition about 20% of their possessions last night. We, they're not a transition team. Their instinct is to stay in half, but we cannot allow that to take place. We were in transition only 5% of our time. Again, it's great that we made a bunch of shots, but we, we really got stagnant and slow. So th- there's a bunch of parts of this game where we're, we should 
we really we're really fortunate to have won that game. We played an incredible half court offensive game and made a ton of shots and got the win and we'll take it. And now now go play a more real you know, now go win in a manner that's that's you know, that's not the way we're gonna have to win games. We're gonna have to find a different way to win the next two. So I'm curious with the Clippers in transition, uh, sometimes you get transition off turnovers, sometimes you get it off missed shots, and then there's the most hideous one where you're getting transition buckets off made shots, which will irritate every coach ever. Uh, can you break down those transition hoops and how it was happening? Um, not entirely. How's that? Okay. Um, I'm looking at cleaning. I'm using the website Cleaning the Glass. Um, and I, uh, I mean, I think they turned every single live ball turnover into a fast break. Um, it seems as though, if I'm reading this right, they were in transition 37% of the time off of a live rebound, mm. which is really high, which is like really, really high. So it's all a problem and that has to be, that has to be changed. Yeah. So those, I mean, those are the. Yeah, hey, we won, right? Be be really, really excited. But like, if you're analyzing the game from and then you know you're not just being hyped and you're being giving an analysis and looking at it like, okay, well, are we blowing them out of the series? Is this going to be a five game series? I don't. My, my initial take on the numbers don't see a five game series. Like I see the Jazz having got fortunate, gotten fortunate. The the thing I do see, um, and I'm I'm mes- there's two things I'm just mesmerized by in this series. So the espresso finally kicked in, David. I'm ready to go now. All right. Um, the two things I'm totally mesmerized about, and I, I, the Clippers are so talented. I mean, each of their guys just has a resume that's, that's you know, somewhat through the roof. Even even their lesser players, you know, Reggie Jackson averaged 19 points a game at one point in time. Was like borderline All Star in Detroit. You know, I don't love his game, but like he was. That's a fact. Um, and he was great last night. they you know, Nicholas Batum was borderline All Star in Portland, 13 years in the league you know, max contract. Um, they're so talented that I think they rolled through the regular season with occasional effort or convenient effort. In other words, when they had to, they turned it on. Um, but if you watch them play, they're not playing with a focus on every possession or with an intention on every possession. And I think, you know, I th- clearly, you know, they're the third, second best offense in the league and like ninth best defense. Like they, this is, I think, because of the fact that they didn't need to. Um, when you watch the film, it costs them a lot because we play every possession with an intention. That's who, what the culture that has been built around this franchise is. And we go back to the communication issue. You know, Royce and Donovan and Rudy and Joe have all played together for four years. Derek's been a part of that for three of the last four years, right? Boyan's been now for two full years. Jordan's a year and a half. Like these Mike's two years now. Like there's a connectivity to the Jazz in the way they play every possession with an intention that is very different than what I'm seeing out of the Clippers. And I think that's determining the series as of right now. Like the two biggest plays to me of the entire series, there's many others, but, and then Donovan's an outrageous superstar right now. We cannot forget that is George Niang gets a wide open three in game one with three players pointing at it. No one's running to him. Three players are pointing at him. Like you go get him, you go get him, you go get him. And the same thing happens with Joe Ingles last night. Yeah. And to, and so to, I don't know if that's, 
convenient effort or occasional effort, or if it's the second thing. And this blows my mind. On two, if not three occasions last night, Tyrone Liu had a five-man lineup on the floor that had never played together. Never. Not like not in the playoffs. Not like not recently. Never. And I find that bizarre. I think the bizarre. I think, I think it's really you got to try out everything in the regular season to be ready for the playoffs. You're trying stuff out in the playoffs. Right. That's bizarre. Right. And this whole idea that I play eleven guys and then whittle it down to nine. Like there's just there are some. He's got a championship. I'm a broadcaster, not a coach. Um, if I have learned anything from being inside of a coaching staff before, and fortunately, in, probably in, you know, seeing the inside workings of one of the elite coaching staffs in this league, everything's thought out, at least in the coaching staff that I've been on the inside of and seen, which is Quinn's. Um, but frankly, I was on the inside of Paul Westfalls in Seattle and really close with everyone there, too, and I was with it with Ann Donovan in the WNBA these things are worked. I mean, there's a lot of effort that goes in. So I'm very reluctant to sit here and pontificate about, but it's, I've never seen it before. So the thing that, if we're going to talk lineups, the thing that confused me, and you'll remember this play, Paul George drives. Well, that ought to be, you know, the core of what you do is the Clippers, right? That's why you're paying Paul George. And they've got a smaller lineup on the floor and Rudy is matched up with Kennard. And they put Kennard in the corner uh, right in Paul's line of vision as he drives. It's an easy, short pass for him, right? So that's good. That's smart. That's Everyone's deployed properly. Gobert's got to choose, and he's like, well, I, can't let, I can't just let Paul George drive to the hoop and dunk. If he does that all night, we get beat, right? So he goes to challenge that. He can't get back out to the corner. Kennard puts a rainbow three in over stretched out Rudy. And I'm thinking, yeah, they ought to give the Jazz a steady die to that. That seemed pretty well drawn up. That was Kennard's only shot of the game. He never got that again. I, for the life yeah, I mean, of me, don't understand that. They went. They went to. They pulled. They did some drives where what they're doing. What you're doing there is the number one rule is you never leave the strong side corner. Right like in the league, the rule is you don't leave the strong side corner. So they forced, and there was a play. I mean, I think the three key plays of the game, uh, from the other side, I shared the open threes would be late in the game. They did exactly what they wanted to do. They frankly did what we're daring them to do. Um, and they want this, and that is that they drove Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and Rudy came off of his man to protect the paint, and they kicked to Rudy's man in their small lineup for open threes. Um, I, I would debate the term open. I think when there's a guy with a nine foot seven standing reach sprinting at you, it doesn't probably feel that open. <laughs> um, and they missed all three. And I thought Rudy, on one of them in particular, um, in the right corner, was a case where Rudy left the strong side corner, which is like the biggest no-no ever, and clearly the Jazz had given Rudy the okay to do it. Um, and he cut off the drive, and then he actually, I thought, got back and altered the shot, which was one of the most amazing defensive plays I've seen out of him. Like, it'll, you know, no one will ever talk about it. It wasn't one of these John Morant blocks or something like that. But the idea that at seven foot two, you're so agile that you cut off an all-stars drive and then circle back to alter a three-point shot. And he actually did it then. That's one, this corner's actually shorter. He then did it two plays later where the guy was high quadrant left and he got out to it. And that, it was just amazing. Um, so those those plays, actually, if you go back to them, that's exactly what the Clippers want. Like, to their credit, to Tyler's credit, that's the 
those are, and he said it afterwards. So like, those are the shots we're getting now. From our standpoint, like that's not Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, so maybe we're okay with it. But those are, this is the number one catch and shoot team in the league. That that would be the other one. I haven't looked at the numbers tonight, last night, but in game one they got twenty nine catch and shoot threes. They averaged twenty five on the season. They averaged forty three percent on those. They went ten of twenty nine. I kind of think they had another tw- ten of twenty nine catch and shoot three night last night. That's, again, way too many threes of catch-and-shoot threes allowed, and they're only hitting 10 now. When they get back in the building, they know they're going to make 15 or 18, and they're going to hit us. So I think this series, I think the Jazz is brilliant. I think Donovan, I don't know what we're watching. Like, I do not know what we're watching. He's only in his fourth year in the league. Like, you got And he's big. arrived. Yeah, you, you he's have, arrived. I mean, there's a stat last night that, We've won all six playoff games with them, and the only time someone's won six playoff games and scored this many points is Kobe Bryant or LeBron James. Like, I get scorings up, and some of these numbers are screwy right now, but that, like, tells you all you need to know. I mean, this is this is astronomical, what we're watching. And to watch it in someone's fourth year is completely unheard of. Unheard of. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have made more All-Star games than Donovan Mitchell's played seasons in the league. So last thing, because you touched on this and then you went to the Donovan Mitchell storyline, which is obviously a compelling storyline. Uh, but to the point, your point about the Clippers missing open threes, Marcus Morris Sr. is one of 14 in this series from three. He's a better three-point shooter than that. Well, do you know what he is for the season on Cat? And I think, you know, he's, he's taken a few off the bounce and he's terrible at that. Marcus Morris Sr. on the season, this is a pretty good sample set. 127 of 255 on catch and shoot threes. 50%. Yeah. Like, right. Like, that's now, hey, it's the playoffs and all these shots are a little different, but he's been a 50% three point shooter for like two years. Um, So, so watch Marcus Moore Sr. in game three and figure out if the Clippers, if he's hitting threes, the Clippers are going to get a boost. Right. I think that's, you know, again, like, I'm not trying to be like just, be fired up, scream and yell, be great, see, be great. Like, don't be surprised if these games swing a tiny bit coming up here because, um, by the way, they were 7 of 21 on catch and shoot threes last night. So tip of the hat to the defense that that number's down to 21 or 20 where you want it to be. They were 7 of 21. Concerning on our end, we only got 13. All right, David, we got to run. We appreciate it, though. Thanks for joining us. You you enjoy the trip. Yes, we do. Uh, Bills to pay. And you enjoy the trip to L.A., and we will hear you 6.30 Saturday night, Game 3, and then Game 4 Monday night. If we were on a phone call, just the two of us, nothing else on our agenda, how long would the call go today? Oh, probably another hour. (laughs) I mean, ultimately you would say, dude, i got to (laughs) jump. That's that, how, that is that, that is, exactly is how it I, would that end. Is my, that is my phrasing. There is no question, but that is my phrasing. Yeah. Yes. All right, thank you, David. All right, I got I got to jump.